This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Bob Barry, founder and director of It's the Users and principal user experience researcher at Answer Lab, to talk about improving internal user experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Hi, Mercy. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to doing this. So a lot of our listeners, especially those who work in knowledge management, IT, HR, and other support functions, would really like to provide better user experiences with their internal tools and platforms. So many people get frustrated when experiences that are so easy and delightful in our personal lives with our personal devices are so painful and convoluted at work with work tools. And we know this is a big problem that just keeps getting bigger. And that's why this is episode one of two on this topic. On this episode, we're going to focus on high-level strategy, and we'll talk tactics on episode two. So without further ado, let's get into it. Bob, for the people who build and manage internal enterprise systems, what external UX trends do you think are most important for them to pay attention to? Certainly, uh, and, and you won't be surprised to hear me say this, you know, paying attention to COVID and what's happening with the pandemic and, you know, what are, what are your company policies and how are you dealing with that? You know, even uh, in our organization at Answer Lab, uh, when the pandemic hit two years ago, it's hard to believe it's been two years, um, you know, we all had to figure out how to work remotely. And so we had to create workspaces uh, we had to adapt platforms. We had to provide people resources and tools so that we could all continue to get our work done. And at the same time, our clients were doing the same thing. So all the clients that we work with, um, really without exception, all had to figure out how to work remote. So, you know, how those tools work, what kind of user experience you have in an office or a factory environment could be completely different than what it looks like when you're sitting at your kitchen table or when you're working at your home office. So that's probably the first one is to figure out how you're going to go remote and how you're going to serve customers uh, and then how you're going to help your employees and all your staff function as well during this very unusual time we're in. That's probably the number one thing. So the, and then a, a, a couple of other really important processes here and ones that we constantly um encourage companies to pay attention to is to uh, you know, pay attention, ask, listen, stay in touch with your users, whoever they might be internally, and uh, you know, be aware of how, how things are going for them. Are they being productive? Are the systems that they're using working for them? Are, are, there, are there any issues that they're having? So just having a pulse on their effectiveness and the kinds of experiences that they're having day to day. Certainly, again, as they shift to remote or if they've already done that. Um, and then another really key factor in all of this, which I'll probably repeat as we go through a lot of these discussions in these two podcasts, is the decision about whether you're going to build something internally or whether you're going to use an external platform of some kind. You know, there are so many tools out there now that uh, you know, for office productivity, for communicating with customers, for managing inventory, for uh, just internal communications. There, you know, there's so many ways that we can, in, in very affordable ways, we can communicate and do what we need to do, get our jobs done without having to build things internally. Mm -hmm. We can we can use software as a service. We can use office tools. We can use a lot of the things that are commercially available. 
and really saves that, um, that expense and that responsibility of having to manage and create those experiences for ourselves. Mm. So if you're, if you're, Looking at the the buy option, any um, top top things you would you would want to look for in terms of UX? You know, I think when we when we focus on the buy situation, a lot of people are just looking at the bottom line cost, and you know maybe some security, you know, kind of IT side capabilities. How what are some ways to kind of understand the the UX side? You know, it, with virtually any system you might be considering, there are going to be reviews out there. And these are, in many cases, if they're popular systems, they're going to be reviewed by professionals. So independent tech magazines, um, you know, if you have uh, whatever industry you're in, there may be, um, you know, uh, professional organizations or trade journals that maybe have reviewed some of these tools. And in almost every case, there are going to be user reviews as well. So you're going to be able to get a really good understanding of how these tools are working for other people and what the experience has been like, how scalable are they, how easy is it to onboard people, um, and how productive are people with these tools going forward. So d- definitely encourage um, you know, anyone who's considering those things to look at those reviews, both the professional versions and the user reviews. And in a lot of cases too, a lot of these tools have trial periods. You, know, you can plug them in and, and people can sit down with them and they can try them out and you can figure out how well they work in your environment with your employees to you know, determine whether or not they're going to work before you actually have to pay for them and really do a, you know, in, and commit to them fully. Hmm. So for, for folks that do feel like they're in that build situation, um, you know, maybe they've got like a large user base that they feel like isn't getting served by, by what's available on the market, or maybe it's, it's close, but they, they wanna do some heavy customization. Um, what would you recommend um, for folks so that they can get into that build without having it be something that takes a really long time and costs a ton of money? Well, probably there are a lot of uh, software development and product development principles that would apply here. For example, um, you know, scale and phase it carefully. Uh, you know, what we see companies do a lot uh, with almost any system, and you probably have experienced this yourself and probably a lot of your listeners have experienced this, is the, the, the problem with feature bloat. You know, there's a tendency to want to put every bell and whistle in uh, because, you know, there's one user that thinks they need it or it just seemed like a good idea at the time. And so, you know, start simple and uh, get something in place, get it out there, let users start to work with, again, listen, pay attention, you know, understand how things are going, find ways to monitor their progress and their productivity. And then if you need additional features and capabilities, figure out how to phase those in gradually. Uh, You're going to get something done a lot sooner. You're going to spend a lot less money. And probably in the long run, you're going to discover that some of the things on that list of features that you thought you needed maybe weren't so important. Awesome. I kind of want to turn to the build versus buy question on the people side as well. Um, you know, a lot of organizations are in the place where, you know, they've, they've got an IT team that does not have a, a UX person on it. They, they may not have the, that capability in-house at all. Um, for those organizations, how do they determine whether it makes sense to try and hire someone or bring on a consultant or even try to build the capability internally by, for example, sending a couple team members to some training or to get a certification? 
Uh, again, I think that the, the principles around development probably apply here uh, as well. Um, you know, start simple, start smaller and scale. Uh, so there, again, if, if you want to improve the user experience, productivity, just the overall work environment for, for your people by improving the tools and improving the user experience on those tools, you know, start by, you know, deciding if you're going to get some tools in place um, that you need to. But if you really, if you really need to develop internally and you need to have that capability, um, you know, start by hiring somebody externally, you know, find a good uh, contractor or agency or independent developers and, um, and, and see how much they can accomplish in the short term. You know, for some organizations, especially smaller organizations, having somebody on staff full-time who's a user experience expert um, might not be cost-effective. It might make sense to just bring those people in when you need to. Uh, and, and in a lot of cases, too, even the user experience skill set itself in general is pretty specialized. But even within that, there's a lot of specialization as well. So depending on the kinds of tools you're kind of you're going to build, there are going to be developers or programmers or designers. They're going to specialize in very specific areas. And so, you know, it's a lot easier to go out on the marketplace and find an individual or find a company that specializes in those areas, depending on your industry and your work environment, uh, than it is to try and train those. Now, over time, if you realize that this is really important and you find yourself paying more and more for those external resources and hiring contractors, at some point, it might make sense to think about actually training somebody on staff to do that, at least part-time, or even hiring somebody full-time. It, again, it really depends on how strategic it is and how much impact you're getting. You know, if you bring in those external people and they really start to make a difference and you see some bottom-line results in productivity or whatever, however you measure that, and that's working well, that might be cost justification to say, maybe it's time to hire somebody. Mm. Just a, a quick follow-up on that. Um, whether you're, uh, you know, you're, you're doing the hire or you're kind of building it internally, where do you like to see UX people sitting in the organization? What do you find makes the, the most, makes them most empowered and most effective in their role? So that, that's a really good question. Um, and, and again, it, 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 as always, the answer is it depends. It depends on, on where you really need their impact. So a lot of organizations that we work with are optimizing, designing, testing for customer-facing systems. And so those user experience experts uh, tend to sit very closely to the design team. In many cases, they're on the design team of, you know, these are programmers, developers, uh, people with very high technical skills that are you know, actually creating the interfaces that customers are gonna work with. And so, so for those customer-facing systems, it makes sense for them to be either on or very close to R&D, design, development, uh, those organizations. In some cases, for customer facing, they're even part of the marketing department mm. because you're building websites or apps or something that customers are going to use. For more internally focused um, uh, solutions and platforms and systems, it might make more sense for them to be closer to IT. So whatever department or function or role within the organization is in charge of those internal systems and making sure those people are productive and effective, 
uh, it's probably best that they stick closest to them. And in many cases, that's probably going to be IT. Again, in some organizations, there might be more specialized functions than IT, but that's probably where you're going to find most of them internally. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to turn to the the huge gulf between internal uh, UX and consumer facing UX. I'm sure uh, you've perhaps seen some of these internal systems that seriously look like they are from 20 years ago. Um, do you think that internal UX can ever be as easy and delightful as what we experience in the consumer space? Well, the shorter answer is yes. Uh, but I know for for companies that have invested a lot in uh, legacy systems, especially mission critical legacy systems, that's a really tough decision. And we see companies struggling with this frequently. So uh, especially if you've got an internal system that's you know managing customer interactions or customer relations, if you're managing inventory, uh, if there are supplier connections that, you know, you've got a systems that connect with other companies or other business functions that you don't have complete control over, uh, and those old systems have a bad user experience, it's a difficult to decision to decide whether or not it's time to update those or even replace them. Um, and in most cases, it's, it's going to be a cost-benefit kind of, kind of decision. Uh, one of the things to really pay attention to, and we've seen this happen, and it can be can be really challenging if it happens, is ask yourself the tough question. You know, if this system fails, if something happens and this system is simply no longer usable, either because of the back end, something goes obsolete and it's no longer supported, or there's just so many defects, or just from a user standpoint, they just can't use the system any longer. What's the impact on the business going to be? Is it going to be catastrophic? In that case, you really do have to make the tough decisions. You've got to figure out how to invest in major redesign or even replacement. Mm. If the impact is less and it makes sense, it might make more sense to say, you know, we could patch this thing a little bit longer. We can keep it running with a little bit of investment. We can fix the problems that are there and we can probably continue to work with this for some period of time. So you, you really have to weigh some of those risks and those cost benefits. Um, and in some cases, the functional, you know, the backend function of the system might actually be more critical than the user experience, mm -hmm. but you have to take all of that into consideration. So it sounds like you maybe have seen some organizations that do have internal UX that's just like almost as good, at least as uh, consumer spaces. What do you think allowed those organizations to get there? Well, I think in some cases, it's, um, it's probably organizations that are probably in a, in a realm that maybe isn't that relevant for, you know, some of your or a lot of your audience. And for example, I'm thinking of a company like, like Google. Okay. So Google creates this vast array of tools and we do a lot of work with Google. And so, you know, you can go sign up for Google Sheets and Google Docs and, you know, and Google Slides. There's all sorts of free tools that Google provides um, that are publicly available. And you can buy, and there are many paid versions of these as well. And of course, if you work with Google, they use all of those tools internally as well. Mm -hmm. So all of the investment that they make in making those tools very usable for all of us to use every day means that they're whoever 
internally is using them is also just as effective and productive. Uh, obviously, most companies don't have the resources and the armies of developers and user experience researchers that Google does. So that's that's sort of an extreme case. But I think there, but there, but again, there may be some lessons there. You know, there may be situations where, um, you know, for example, if you're managing products and you're selling products online. Uh, and there's inventory or uh, virtual products that, that you're selling and providing to customers, you know, there may be portions of those that, that will work internally as well. There may be aspects of external systems. Again, and some of this may be make, some of it may be buy, where uh, what your customers need to do with your products and your company are very similar to what your employees need to do. Mm. So that's an important question to ask is how much overlap is there there? And can we find some efficiencies by using the same systems um, internally that our customers use? Mm. That's probably one of the more common ways um, to improve that overall user experience. Um, you know, that's one way. Another way, again, is just to go you know, buy, rent, you know, it's systems that already have a, an effective user experience built in. That's probably the, the shortest path. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, Bob, let's uh, close out with a lightning round here. What are five ways that organizations can create exceptional virtual experiences without spending a lot of money? So, as we have talked about, so so using external systems where the companies that develop those have user experience experts and they have those built in, um, that's, that's probably the fastest way. Uh, so looking at what your competitors are doing and finding out some of the best practices, just kind of looking at the landscape out there and finding out what, what people are doing that works well and sort of copying that and using those as good examples is another way. Uh, as we've also talked about, you know, hiring external, um, you know, contractors, developers, experts to come in on a as needed basis and only focusing on what's most important is another way. Uh, another way is to begin to, if you have developers and programmers internally or IT people that are managing those systems, you know, there are lots of free and low cost resources out there to train them on basic user experience principles. And usually with these principles, it's sort of an 80-20 rule. You know, learning 20% of the most important user experience principles is going to have an 80% impact on the outcome. So they can, with some basic training and basic learning, they can, uh, they can make a pretty significant impact. Um, and then also there are a lot of ways that, um, that you can uh, take what is existing now and simply, as I talked earlier, just simplify it. Instead of adding more and developing more, just start removing things that aren't necessary. And again, we have to be selective about how you do that. But sometimes, um, again, the, the original design or development of the system maybe was overdone and there are things that aren't needed or that can be combined or, or simplified in ways that make things a lot easier for the user. And that's actually removing things instead of adding things. And that's, that's, another, um, that's another way as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Bob. Thanks, Mercy. I appreciate it. So before we go, I want to let our listeners know to check the links in the description for more of Bob's guidance on building great UX. And remember, this is episode one of two on this important topic. Once again, I'm Mercy Harper. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more about our research, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.